ask that you'd help everyone to be attentive. I pray you'd help me, Father. I, I cannot help these people. I cannot teach these people. I cannot minister to these people. But I know you can. And Lord, I ask that you'd use me tonight. Not that I would be used, not that I would do anything, but that you would work through me and through your word and that we could leave here, Lord. And the purpose of studying your Bible, the purpose of preaching, and the purpose of looking at your scriptures is to become better people. pray you'd help all of us to be attentive, to focus on what's being said, and that we would take that and apply it to our lives. We love you, Father. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Exodus chapter 7. And very interesting passage. Exodus chapter 7 begins the very famous ten plagues of Egypt. And if you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. I want you to see just, I've just got a few points out of this passage that I'd like you to see. I don't want to spend a lot of time tonight, but I'd like you to see point number one. I want you to see God's plan. God always has a plan. See, God doesn't move uh, without direction. God is not like us who often uh, do things and step out and say things and act in certain ways and don't plan out what we're going to do. God always has a plan and He, he uh, shows us His plan in this passage. And I want you to see number one under God's plan. He says, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. Now notice, God is speaking to Moses and God says to Moses that He made... Moses a God. Now notice that's a, cap, a lowercase g on that God. That's not a capital G. That's very important in the Bible. In the Bible, whenever you see a capital G, God, that's talking about Almighty God. When you see a lowercase g, that's not God in heaven. Uh, oftentimes that'll be uh, an idol or a demon or something like that. But when God is using that analogy, He's saying, Moses, I've made you a God. Notice verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Now, I want you to, you say, well, what does that mean, or what does that have to do with anything? You, you need to understand something. Pharaoh, Egypt at this time is a very evil place. Egypt at this time is a very sinful place. Egypt at this time uh, is a very wicked place. In idolatry, and, uh, they're, they're polytheistic. What that means is that they worship multiple gods. It's a very dark place. Egypt represents the world in the Bible all the time. Egypt represents going, we often read about going down into Egypt, the house of bondage, the, uh, the place of slavery, and that's what Egypt represents. And Pharaoh is the epitome of that, because Pharaoh is the leader. Pharaoh is, is the man in charge of this place. And Pharaoh, you got to understand, God could have very easily gone down to Pharaoh himself. Could he have not? God did not need Moses. God could have appeared to Pharaoh in a burning bush in the same way. But God chooses who He will and will not communicate with. And God said, you know what? Pharaoh and I do not have a line of communication, Moses. Moses, I'm going to use you as a vessel to communicate between me and the world, between me and the sinful, between me and the unbelieving. And He says, Moses, I need you to understand this, that when you are doing that, they don't know... God. And we're going to see that in a second. God, God tells us that, that one of the reasons He did what He did is so that the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. He says, Pharaoh doesn't know God. Pharaoh doesn't know I am. Pharaoh doesn't know the God of the Bible. Pharaoh doesn't know any of that. In fact, Moses, I need you to understand 
something. The only thing that Pharaoh knows about God is you, Moses. You understand that? He says, see, here's what you understand. A lot of times the unbelieving world, you know your friends that aren't saved, and your family members that aren't saved, and your neighbors that aren't saved, and everyone you know that's not saved, and everyone, a lot of times the only thing of God they know is represented in you. The only Bible they'll ever read is your life. The only testimony of God that they'll ever have is you. And we've got to be very careful. You know, I, I, I think we take our Christianity very flippantly sometimes. And you've got to understand that the testimony that you have and the way you act, the things you say, the, the stuff you do, the places you go, the, the reaction that people get from you, all of that is a sermon being preached to this unsaved world. Now look, we believe in confrontational soul winning and we believe in going out and preaching the gospel and getting people saved and, and all of that. But you know what? Oftentimes we'll have a lot of success in getting strangers saved and we'll have very little success in getting our own loved ones saved, and getting our own family members saved, our own neighbors saved, our own co-workers, and you say, why is it that I can't get my co-workers uh, saved, and, and it may be that it's because your co-workers have seen your life, and the only God they've ever seen has been through you, you're the only picture of Jesus Christ they've ever seen has been through you, and what they've seen they're not impressed with, and God says to Moses, he says, Moses, I've made you a God to Pharaoh. Now, he doesn't make him a capital G, almighty God. He said, I made you a, a God, a, a lowercase g, God to Pharaoh. He says, the only thing that Pharaoh knows about God is you, Moses. The only thing Pharaoh knows about God's word is you and Aaron, Moses. And I, I've made you that uh, to him. He said, that's a very uh, a grave responsibility. I'm looking for a passage right now. It's not in my notes. I just thought about it right now. I don't know why I just thought about it right now. But I, I, sh- I should have had it in my notes. But go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me, let me show you this even further. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God says to Moses, I've made thee, he says, and the Lord said unto Moses, see, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, look at verse number uh, 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is, this is the same ministry Moses had. See, you've got to understand, God does not deal with man on a personal basis. Other than, of course, through the ministry of Jesus Christ. We understand that. But God, even in Egypt, and even today, has given a messenger the ministry of reconciling man with God. He says in verse 18, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. He did that through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then He tells us, And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world. Uh, he, I, I want you to understand this, okay? Don't miss verse 19. He says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. He says, 
God, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. I want to make sure I say this clearly because I want you to understand this. But the Bible tells us that God was in that flesh of Jesus, in that body. God was in that flesh reconciling himself to, or reconciling the world to God. He's saying God literally made Jesus God to, to the world. To reconcile the world. Look at verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Notice the word ambassador there. You know what an ambassador is. It's someone who has the job of representing. You know, we have ambassadors that go all over the world. We have an ambassador go to Germany, an ambassador go to uh, Japan, different countries. And, and that ambassador would represent someone of higher authority. The President of the United States has ambassadors that represent him all through the, throughout the world. And the Bible says in verse uh, number 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. Notice. He's saying, this is what he's saying. He's saying in the same way that God was in Jesus Christ reconciling himself unto the world. He says in the same way you and I are ambassadors or representatives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's very interesting. Verse 20, very powerful statement. As, as though God did beseech you by us. When you open your mouth and you preach the gospel, when you go out and you knock on that door and explain the gospel to somebody, when you uh, try to give the gospel to a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend, it's as if Jesus Christ, as if God Himself was speaking to that individual through you. Amen. He says, as, through, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. He said, instead of Christ going, I'm going to send you. He said, I'm sending you in the place of Christ. Be ye reconciled to God. For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God, see the same thing that God said to Moses, I've made you a God unto Pharaoh. God says he's, he's made that us to this world. The unbelieving world, the only thing of God they'll know is in you and my life. And i got to ask you a question. How are you representing God? Don't you think that if you were asked by the President of the United States to represent him in the UN? You know, let's say they're having a UN meeting and, and, and he couldn't make it and he said, I'm going to send you, brother so-and-so, or you, sister so-and-so, and you're going to represent me and here's what I want you to say. He said, on Saturday morning at 10 a.m., I want you to go out to the U.N. meeting, and I want you to represent... Or at 5 p.m., let's, let's move it there. <laughs> I want you to represent me at the U.N. meeting, and I want you to say thus and thus. And let's, and let's say you call the president at 8 p.m. and say, you know what? Or, you know, just a little before that, you know, I, I'm really tired. I don't think I'm going to make it. You think you still have a job? <laughs> he, says, he says, this is why I hired you. He says, this is why I keep you around. The only, your only job is to represent me. And when I send you, you give me an excuse why you can't make it. But see, see who thinks that the President of the United States outranks God? Who, who's more important, the Lord Jesus Christ or Barack Obama? I can I'll make that very easy for you. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ has people he wants us to witness to. People he wants us to reconcile unto so People he's given us, he's given you a Pharaoh, he's given me a Pharaoh to represent him. But you and excuse after excuse why I can't do it, why I can't make it. We can do everything else in the world, but we can't serve God. 
Very important job. Go back to Exodus chapter 7, look at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. See, God's plan is, first of all, He's made us His representative. Look at verse 2. He says, I shall speak all that I command thee. See, He's representing. He said, you're going to say what I... I'm not making you a god so you can go be worshipped, Moses. You're, you're a god to Pharaoh so you can speak what I've commanded thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. Look at verse 3. He says, and I will... Now in verse 1 he said, I have. In verse 3 he said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He said, Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened, Moses. He's not going to listen to you. And he says, but I want you to know that I'm doing that for a reason. He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Here's why. So, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. He said, I'm going to have Pharaoh's heart be hardened because I don't want to do one wonder and have that be done. He said, I want to multiply my wonders. He said, I want to multiply my signs. He said, this is going to be a picture, Moses. This is going to be something that's going to be used in the Bible that millions of people will read, that people will study, that Mary Baptist Church will study one day. And I, and I, want, to, I want to multiply that, so I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart because I'm going to use him as an example, Moses. Let's look at verse 4. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you. Look what he says. That I may. Verse 1 he said I have. Verse 3 he said I will. Verse 4 he says that I may. Look what he says. Lay my hand upon Egypt. That's a very scary phrase to me. That God would look at a nation. That's so wicked and so perverse. And he said I'm going to lay my hand on it. Not in a good way. He said I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. That I can multiply my signs and my wonders. He said that I may lay my hand upon Egypt. Look what he says. And bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. Verse 5. And the Egyptians, look what he says, shall know that, look what he says, I am the Lord. Verse 1 he said I have. Verse 3 he said I will. Verse 4 he said I may. And verse 5 he says again, I am. He says the reason I'm doing this Moses is because I want the Egyptians to know, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Look at verse 6. Moses is a very good ambassador. And Moses and Aaron, look what it says, did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Could that be said about you and I? Pastor Roger Jimenez did as the Lord commanded him. Could that be said of you instead of Moses? Maybe that's why Moses was such a great man of God. Look at verse 7. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. I said number one, I want to see God's plan. God's plan was this. He's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, so that he could multiply his wonders, multiply his signs, so we could have those ten plagues. And the purpose of that was that the children, uh, that, that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So that's my plan, Moses. But I want you to see number two, I want you to see God's people. God's people, look at verse 7. And Moses was, look what it says, four score years old. You say, what's four score years old? Remember Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address, four score and seven years ago. What was that? Eighty-seven years. A score is twenty. Four score is eighty. Okay? The Bible tells us that Moses was four score years old. He was an eighty-year-old man. Now, to whom does that sound like you're just in your prime? Who, who just can't wait, man, you know, 
I know I'm 26 right now, but I can't wait till I'm 80 and just get in that stride. Who says that? You know, usually when we think of 80, we think life is done. We think retirement, I mean, we, if we, in America, we've been retired for more than a decade now. You know, 80 to us is finishing our life. But, see, for God, 80 years old, Moses was starting the greatest ministry and the thing he went down in history for, that's what he was starting at 80. See, you got to understand this, it's never too late with God. People get this idea, well, I can't serve God, Pastor. You don't understand. I can't serve God because I'm 30 years old. and I 30 years old, good night, that's not old. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or 40 years old, or 50 years old, or 60 years old, or 70, or guess what? Even 80, because at 80 years old, God can still use you to do a great, mighty work. And He says, He says, the Bible tells us, and Moses was four score years old. Look at Aaron. You think it gets better? It actually gets worse. And Aaron, four score and three years old. <laughs> so Moses, Aaron was even older than Moses. These are old men. 80 years old. 83 years old. When they spake unto Pharaoh. You see, we consider being elderly weak. And, and in some instances we understand that. Your body gets weaker the older you get. But see, I believe God is trying to show us something here. He uses these weak vessels. We're talking about God's people. He uses these weak vessels to show much power and strength. He's going to show His wonders and His signs. The ten plagues, the power of God. By the way, these are the same, very similar plagues that God is going to pour down in the end times. And He uses these, what we would consider old... I mean, we think of 80 years old, and when we, we say, man, don't even listen to those people. You know, they just ramble on. They, they're not coherent. They can't understand. They're not with the times, right? But God said, that's the man I'm going to use. That's the woman I'm going to use. See, see God, God is not a respecter of persons. We often think, well, God, God's looking for someone that's got a little more talent. God's looking for someone that has a little more money. God's looking for someone that, that has a little more education. God's looking for someone that, that's, you know, and we, and we make our excuses. God's looking for someone that's thinner. God's looking for someone that's taller. God's looking for someone, whatever. God, look, God's looking for you. Say, well, I'm 80 years old. That's okay, He'll use you. See, it's God's people. Look at verse 4. Go back to verse 4. Very interesting what the Bible says. God is speaking to Moses. And God says, But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt. And look what God says. Look at the next phrase. And bring forth mine armies, and my people, the children of Israel. Now, when I, when I read that, i got to ask a question. What armies? What armies? God says to Moses, I'm going to bring forth my armies and the children of Israel out of Egypt. But I, I, I've got to, and if I was Moses, I'd probably be wondering the same thing. Now Moses has learned by now not to talk back to God and not to question God. God says he wants to bring his armies out, he wants to bring his armies out. But if I was Moses, here's what I'd be asking myself. What armies are you talking about? Because <laughs> when I look at the children of Israel, I see a bunch of people in bondage. When I look at the children of Israel, I see a bunch of slaves. I see a bunch of weakness. I see a bunch of people uh, who, who don't have a chance. They can't even fend or fight or provide for themselves. They're in slavery. They're in bondage. But God knows. He doesn't say, I'm going to bring out my slaves. I'm gonna he says, I'm going to bring out my armies. And you say, what is that talking about? And I'm trying to teach you about God's people. Let me tell you something. God looks at His people not as they are, but as what they will one day become. God looks at a person. And, and you and I as Christians, 
Christians, we ought not look at individuals as, look at that person, and they're so annoying, or they're so, you know, stubborn, or they're so this, or they're so that. You ought to look at individuals with what they have the opportunity to one day become. See, one day the children of Israel will become a great army. One day the children of Israel will become a, a, an army and a force to be reckoned with. One day the children of Israel, under the leadership of Joshua, I can't wait till we uh, preach through the book of Joshua, will walk into Canaan's land with armies and with military force, with military power, and of course the power of God. And they'll, they'll just conquer the land. They'll take over the entire land there. And, and they'll have victory after victory after victory. And people will fear them and be afraid of them. And they'll fear and be afraid of their God. But right now, they were slaves. Right now, they're in bondage. But God says, I don't see that. God says, I see what they will become. He says, I see their potential. And you know, that's our job as Christians. That's my job as a pastor. And when I see you, I don't see you for who you are right now. I see you for who you have the potential of being. You know, when I get somebody saved at the door, I, I, I used to think this was a bad thing for me to do, and then I realized it was a good thing for me to do. But I, I used to get so excited because I get somebody saved at the door, and I knock on the door, get them saved, I take down their information, because that's the only way you're going to be able to have a relationship with that person, is take down their information. And I ask them, do you mind if I write down your name and phone number? I'd like to pray for you, maybe send you some information about our church. And I get their information, I get them to commit to come to church. And I start getting excited, man. But before I got to the car, I'd already be envisioning, I still do this today. I'd be envisioning, man, someone's going to come to church. They're going to get baptized. They're going to be a great solar. You know, that young man, he's going to be a preacher of God's word. That young lady, and I start envisioning. And, and, then, and then they wouldn't come to church. And it'd be a little discouraging. But you know, that's a good thing. We need to look at people not as who they are today, but who they have the potential. See, right now you may be a very immature Christian, but that's not who we see. That's not who God sees. God sees a very mature Christian. See, right now you may be struggling with things, but that's not what God sees. God sees someone who's gotten victory over that. See, right now you know you may be inconsistent uh, with soul winning, or inconsistent with your Bible reading, or inconsistent with your uh, uh, church attendance, or inconsistent with your prayer with your faithfulness or something. God, you may be, you know, uh, just an emotional roller coaster, up and down and up and down. And today you're excited and tomorrow you're sad. You know, that may be who you are right now. Right now you may have anger issues and right now you may have depression issues and right now you may have all sorts of issues. Right now you're in bondage. You understand that? But God sees a great army. That's Verity Baptist Church. Let me show you this. It's very interesting to me. One of my favorite. I've done this before, but I want to show you this again. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 22. 1 Samuel chapter number 22. And by the way, let me just say this. Because of that, we need to learn to have patience and grace on people. You know that person that just annoys you? Just bothers you? you, you if you learn to love people... And you start looking at people and saying, you know, I don't see you for who you are right now. Because who you are right now, I just want to strangle you. But I see what you one day could become. You know when you start looking through the eyes of opportunity? Instead of being upset with people, you start having the eyes of opportunity and you start wanting to work with people. See, you're, you're, you have a child... And they just annoy you, they bother you, they're always doing this, they're always doing that, you're just, you're just, if you start seeing
seeing what you could do with that child, what that child could become. And you start looking not at what they are right now, but what they one day could be. See, that's where the difference is. That's where people start investing in somebody else's life. Not when they see the bondage slave today, but what one day could come, the great army that could come. And that's what we've got to do. And when we just look at people for who they are right now, we get annoyed, we get upset, we get discouraged. We make statements like, man, you're doing that again? I thought you were past that. And you're saying that again? I thought you'd grown out of that. And you're, you're missing church again? I, I, thought, I thought we got away from that. Oh, man, you're, I, I got to talk to you again about you know, not being discouraged. I, I thought we'd grown past that. See, but, but, but when you have the eyes of seeing... One day, God's going to do a great work with this person. One day, God's going to do a great work with this son, with this daughter. You see what I'm saying? You've got to throw it into people's faces what they are today. You've got to be looking with encouragement, with enthusiasm, as to what they one day could become. Amen. Go to First Samuel chapter uh, 22, look at verse 1. First Samuel 22, 1. When David, remember King David, when he was running from Saul? Running like a dog? Being hunted. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 22, the Bible says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down to uh, down hither to him. And David is running away from, from Saul and from society. And look at verse 2. Very interesting. I love this. I, I say I, I bring this up often because I think it's so interesting. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Now, if you don't, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you know, just right next to that verse, right there, Verity Baptist Church. <laughs> How, the Bible says that David became a captain to this. Who, who would like to be a captain to a bunch of people who are in distress, debt, and discontented? <laughs> Does that sound like an impressive crowd? These people are running out to meet David. David is running from the law. And these people are like, that's going to be my leader. <laughs> they're in distress. They are depressed. They are discouraged. They're discontented. That means they're not content. They're not happy. They're in debt. They're failing. They, they, they are the people in society that nobody wants, that nobody likes. That they're, they're the outcasts, and they've actually been outcasted to David out in the wilderness. And I don't have time to show it to you right now. But these men who David became a captain to... See, David didn't have this attitude of saying, What am I going to do with you? You're in so much debt. <laughs> you're so distressed. You're so disconnected. The Bible says David became their captain, became their leader. And if you study it out in the Bible... These men, these 400 men, ended up becoming what's referred to in the Bible as David's mighty men. Who's ever heard of David's mighty men? If you've never heard of that before, you've got to study that in your Bible. Get, get a concordance. Look up the word mighty men. And study David's... I mean, the Bible goes on to tell us, and, and, and we could do it. You can go to 2 Samuel and read all about it, but we don't have time. But we could go through and read about these men and the wonderful exploits that they did. These became the most powerful warriors mentioned to us in the Bible. These men became great, uh, very victorious uh, warriors for the cause of Christ and David there. And, and I want you to notice that they were not born into or, you know, military families. They were not born into great training. They were not born into, into, into money. 
say, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, right now, you and I, maybe people would look at us and say, well, that's weak. Maybe the Calvary Christian centers of this world and the Capital Christian centers of this world and any other Christian centers of this world will look at a, a church service like this and say, well, that's weak. There's not, there's not, you know, maybe they look at our bulletin and say, there's not much finances there. What are you going to do with that? Can't even, can't even rent the building. Can't even support a pastor. Maybe, maybe they would look and say, well, that's just a handful of people there and, and they, they don't have much training and they don't have much ability and they're meeting in a little, uh, uh, you know, uh, house there. What are they going to do? But I'm telling you that God sees past that and He sees a great army. And if you get that vision and you decide and you say, man, it's not what I am today. That's the purpose of church. That's why we preach what we do. That's why, hey, by the way, that's why I preach on finances. Because I don't want you, you're in debt right now, okay. I don't want you in debt ten years from now, five years from now. You're discouraged right now, I get that. I don't want you discouraged two years from now. You're wishy-washy, it half in, half out, can't decide if you want to serve God now. That's okay. I'll have patience with you. But a year from now, two years from now, man, I want you strong. I want you fighting. I want you out there. I want you leading. Why? Because God has a plan. See, when the world sees bondage, God sees strength. Amen. When the world, when, when Samuel saw a little boy named David, God saw a great king and he said, anoint that one. And Samuel said, you sure you don't want me to anoint this one? The firstborn? The strong one? The tall one? He said, no, no, no. Do the little one. The, the little one, the one that was on the sheep, the one they forgot about, God says, yeah, see, God sees the heart. And that's what God saw. Go back to Exodus chapter 7. We might have to finish this next week because we're already out of time. But look at, look at verse number... I said number one, I want you to see God's plan. I said number two, I want you to see God's people. Number three, I want you to see God's persuasion. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you. Then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded them. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servant, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. We're going to come back to that in a few chapters. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rod. I want you to understand this. God says, I want you to show them a miracle. He says, take your rod, throw it on the ground, it's going to become a serpent. The problem is, the, the, the sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, they cast down their rods, and they became a serpent. They did the exact same miracle that, that God's man did. Now the difference was that Moses' serpent ate the other serpents. So God's always more powerful. But they copied him. Look at verse 13. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink. Against he come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hither to thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord in this, look what he says, in this 
Thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters that are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon the streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood, and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod, and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. I want you to see God's persuasion. Say, what do you mean by that? you got to understand something. As we study the ten plagues here, and beginning with the first miracle, they progressively get worse and worse. And, and we're going to spend more time on this in the future, so I don't want to you know, steal my thunder or anything. <clears throat> but I want you to understand something. God doesn't start with the most hurtful, most damaging plague. He actually begins with a very simple miracle. Just turn the staff into a serpent. They are very easily able to duplicate it. And then he says, okay, need a little more than that? Turn water into blood. But each one becomes progressively worse and worse. And let me tell you something. Sometimes God's trying to persuade you and get your attention, Pharaoh. And he may nudge you a little bit. And you go, and just kind of keep going. And God says, okay. And he has to kind of hit you again. And he gets your attention, but you just kind of keep going. And sometimes God has to bring down, you know, a house on our heads. And then you wake, you wake up one day, and, and your firstborn is dead, Pharaoh. And you say, God, what are you doing? And God says, I, uh, I've been trying to get your attention for some time now. And because of the hardness of your heart, I have to progressively get worse and worse and worse. Until, you know, I go from just kind of, hey, hey, son, hey, daughter. Maybe it's time to get back to church. Maybe it's time to get back to Bible reading. Maybe you should give your tithe. Maybe, and we don't listen, and then it becomes... And eventually, do you understand what I'm saying? This is how God works. He's very patient, He's very long-suffering. But when He's persuading you, it gets hotter and hotter. It gets worse and worse. Look at verse number 21. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to skip a lot of this, because I, I want to finish. But look at verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them, and the Lord, as the Lord had said... I want you to see God's perseverance, verse 23. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Look what it says. Neither did he set his heart to this also. God literally turned all the water in Egypt to blood. And the Bible tells us that Pharaoh went home and never gave it a second thought. That's a very dangerous place to be. And you know, sometimes you come to church. You come to this church. I can't make any promises about any other church you go to because I don't know what they're preaching and what they're saying. 
But sometimes you come to this church and God speaks to you, the Holy Spirit moves in you, and God is very clear in what He wants you to say and what He wants you to do. But unfortunately, I feel like so often, so many of us say, Ah, oh, God, yeah, I hear you. And then we go home and set our, don't set our heart to any of it. Just kind of go on with our day. It's very interesting. Pharaoh, God told Moses to meet Pharaoh in the morning at the river. Pharaoh was going there for a reason in the morning. I'd imagine he was going there to bathe, or at least to wash his face, brush his teeth, I don't know. <laughs> but he was going there, and, and Pharaoh gets there, and, and Moses turns uh, the, the water into blood, and, and Pharaoh just says, okay, and goes home. And doesn't even give it a second thought. And you say, why is it that God, the, the, the plagues got worse and worse and worse? Because when God did a great miracle, like turning the water into blood, and Pharaoh didn't even look at it, didn't even consider it, never even gave it a second thought, just kept going on with his day, God says, okay, I'm going to have to get a little tougher. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says that there isn't such thing as quenching the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that there is a such thing as ignoring the Holy Spirit of God. And when God moves in your heart, and God speaks to you, and God talks to you, and you just... Forget it. You say, ah, not today. Let's not think about that right now. God's not done. God doesn't just say, oh, okay, Pharaoh. Alright, nice try, guys. Moses, let's go home. <laughs> That's not how it works. Look at verse 25. Well, look at verse 24. By the way, it inconvenienced a lot of people. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. Look what it says. And seven days were fulfilled. After that, the Lord had smitten the river. Chapter 8, we're not going to begin it. But after seven days of that, verse 1 of chapter 8, and the Lord spake unto Moses, go unto Pharaoh. See, I think Pharaoh had this idea. Pharaoh kind of thought this way. If I just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. But here's what God says. I've got all the time in the world. I'm not going away. We're going to get this done. Whether you like it or not, we're going to go down this road. And that's the same message that God has for us often. He says, hey, we're going to do this whether we can do it with one plague or ten plagues, it's really up to you, Pharaoh. Whether we can do it now or later, it's going to get done. God's will always gets done, by the way. And He says, however you want to do it, however long you want to take, we'll take care of it. But I want you to understand something, that the, and just to finish up. The, the, the plagues that we study here, very interesting. This isn't in the Bible. And I want to be very clear of that, because we preach the Bible. This isn't in the Bible, but history teaches us that all of those ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt were actually, each one of those plagues represented an attack on the gods of Egypt. See, Egypt was a polytheistic society. The, theistic meaning God, you know, worshipping or God, and poly meaning many, they, they worshipped many gods. And each one of those plagues represents one of the gods that they serve. See that first plague where God turned the, 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 the water into blood? The, the Egyptians, and again, this is not found in Scripture, but just history tells us that the Egyptians had a god uh, uh, named, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, named Happy or Hapi, and he was the Egyptian god of the Nile. They had a god of the waters, of the Nile River there. And if you remember, God said, I'm going to do this, that the Egyptian, he says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And, and he said, he said in verse 17, Thus saith the Lord, in this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. God is saying to, to Pharaoh, he's saying, Pharaoh, I'm going to show you, and you're going to understand that there is one God, 
you worship. It's the God Almighty God. And then God says this, I'm not only going to bring plagues and show you my wonders and my, and my, uh, uh, my great power. He said, I'm going to do it in the same places and in the same ways that you worship your God. He said, you got to walk, I got the Nile, let me show you who really controls the Nile. And he turns the Nile into blood. He said, you got a God of the waters, let me show you who really controls the water. And every one of those plagues was just an attack, an attack, an attack on their belief system, on their gods. Because here's the point, God was trying to show them that He is the Lord. And by the way, that's what God's trying to show everybody today. We serve the God of heaven. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you understand that. Maybe you just come to church for the social atmosphere or because or you like motivational speaking. I don't know. But we actually serve a God. You and I. Who we represent. And if we get serious of serving Him, we could show this community that there is a God in heaven. And that God can take old, weak, in debt, distressed, and discontented people and turn them into a great army and show His power through us. You get that vision? Don't look at the children of Israel in bondage. Look at them as a great army. And don't look at yourself and this church as people in bondage. Look at them as a great army. Don't look at your children in bondage saying, oh, they're never going to do anything. Look at them in what they could become one day. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for Bible study time. Lord, I wish we would have more time to study your word. Lord, we love you. Pray this Bible study would be an encouragement to some, challenge to others. That we would all get a vision. That we'd look at everybody in this room and say, I'm going to love you, not for who you are, but who I believe you can become. I'm going to encourage you, not for who you are, but who I believe you could become. I'm going to show you grace and patience and kind words. Not because of who you are right now, but because I know that right now you're in bondage, but God can make a great army out of you. I pray you'd help me to have that attitude. Lord, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.